0: Live.
1: Hello and welcome. This is Denise Michaels, along with Ray Yurusha, who is the CEO and founder of Pull the Trigger Enterprises and Vertex Capital Fund. And today is Friday, July seventeenth. Hi, Ray.
0: Well, good morning, Denise. Beautiful sunny day <laughs> here in Wisconsin. <laughs>
1: well, good. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying the last day of your vacation, and what we were talking about before I turned the recording on was the reasons why you feel it's important to include a chapter on wholesaling
0: and I, I think the for beginning investor wholesaling is probably the um, toughest and easiest thing to do, and what I mean by that is that for a from a challenging standpoint is finding a property and knowing how to secure it. And I think on the exercise to sell it to somebody that has interest, that has the capital that you don't have and pay you a fee for that. And that fee can run from 2000 to $20,000, depending on the size of the house and what the discount you have. And for investors who are starting out, uh, some of them fall into wholesaling right away. I know I did in my early days back in uh, you know 2001, 2003, because it didn't take a lot of cash. It just took my time to research right. it, type the property, and then find a buyer for it for an investor world. They had the money to take it down.
1: So and, let's break it down a little bit, okay? Sure. Let's talk about why wholesaling, because I hear wholesaling, and I think, oh, my gosh, that's probably something you need to be pretty experienced to do. And you're saying just the opposite, you know? So, um, at any rate, why is wholesaling a great place to start for new, or at least fairly new, real estate investors?
0: I think it's uh, probably a number of different reasons. I think the first reason is that you can make a little bit of money for your for the time you put in. Second reason is that most investors don't have a lot of cash to start off with. So, you just, your goal is to type of property to make a little bit of money again. Thirdly... Educate you on how to do research on a property. Because one thing is saying, well, let the, let the investor go to the MLS, but the best investments for any investor is anything that's what they, we call off market that they don't have access to. So your skill set becomes really important to them if you can research a property, excuse me, identify it, research it, tie it up in its proper fashion, and then bring it to that investor for a fee. And you get paid for your time invested.
1: So that process Again. was identify, research, tie it up, and bring it to investors. Correct. Okay, good. I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: And I was going to say the reason why I, I think it's the easiest, even though sometimes it can be more challenging, is if I'm a new investor and I sit at a table and I say, okay, what do I do? I've been going and blending all these tapes and going on the Internet and Everything keeps a point of wholesaling. Okay, what is it? If you look at the way things are bought and sold in, in our country, I don't, I don't care if it's a paper cup or it's a pencil or it's real estate. Somebody manufactures it. It's cheaper for them to go to somebody that has a customer base already. they can sell to. They've already identified the market. They can sell to it. So as a manufacturer, I take it. I sell to... Denise sales consultants for whatever my, my cost plus is. So I want to make at least uh, 20%, 30% of my product. I sell it to them. Denise consulting goes, well, I know I can make money at this. My buyers are already buy from me. I will sell it for X plus. I make my fee that way. But the real beauty about this is my audience is already has a need the manufacturer has a need of my services, and I can churn product over every 15, 20, 30 days. And that's how I make my living. From a real estate standpoint, if I type a property, as we explained here, I can take that property and make four or five grand on it. Now, in on one hand, one property does not like a lot of money. But if I can make four or five grand doing that once, one time a month, plus I'm still working my full time job, now I made an extra 60000 a year. Other than my time doing research, I can do that at night.
1: Right. And, right. And
0: then when I, once I start build a, a, a bulk of buyers, now I go from doing one a month, to maybe four a month. And then you, 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 then you build your business around that.
1: So when you're talking about wholesaling, are you talking about single-family homes, multi-units, commercial properties, any of them? Any of them. Any of them, okay. Okay,
0: it's a uh, real good example. If you look at Vertex Capital Private Fund, what we what are we what we are becoming is a pure wholesaler. I am looking right now at tapes of properties. I have Sean, Alex, Tom, and to some degree Nick, uh, procuring buyers. So we're procuring letters of intent and also proof of funds, depending on the dollar. When we take a minimum of $10 million type purchases, we go work our way up. My role in the company is to research inventory, tapes of properties of 100, 200, 500, 1,000, 2,000 properties at a time, and make a decision on what to buy and what not to buy. So when we go to buy it, because I'm on the call today, we're talking about not performing notes. A minimum of 500. I'm looking for a certain price point. Now, whether they can fulfill or not, we're going to find out. But let's say I get my price. Once I put my LOI in and my funds in, I'm taking that and reselling it already. Because my goal as a wholesaler, a pure wholesaler, I don't want to own it. I don't want to to rent it. I don't want to do anything with it other than sell it to someone else who has all the tools to do that. But my whole goal here is to churn inventory every 14 days. So if I can take a $20 million tape, sell it for $23 million, and I did it every 14 days, my income goes up substantially.
1: Right. And then I right. build up
0: on my list, and so I start saying, "Well, now I can sell $60 million every two weeks at the same level of of income, and now I grow, I grow exponentially." And that's Don't. that's just a pure whole thing. Go ahead.
1: Okay. So, um, I want you to break it down a little bit even more. So, you said the four steps involved are identify, research, tie it up, and bring it to investors, which, you know, is kind of similar to, um, you know, Robert Allen used to say, find it, fund it, and farm it, you know, yep, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, when you look at it, these are different words, but it's kind yep. of the same. So, let's talk about what's involved in identifying it. Well,
0: um, I'll go back. I'll use the word farming. So, I live in uh, Aurora, Illinois. So, in Aurora, Illinois, I know I have two extremes of prices. I have the, the homes that are going for 70, 80, 110, and I have the homes going from 250 to, say, a million dollars, which is a big range. So, I have to find out for myself where I'm comfortable. So, I have to identify a market, I have to identify something that I know investors. Will buy uh, pretty quickly. Now, if it's a million dollar home, that's where our comfort level is. It's not going to turn over as fast as it would for a hundred thousand dollar home, one hundred twenty thousand dollar home.
1: Right, Bob used to call that bread and butter homes. Yep. You know, it's and he would say, "What you're look, he, he would say bread and butter homes means three bedrooms, two baths."
0: Yep. On a slab and one car garage, possibly. Right. So when you look at that. I, and then I gotta look at my investor audience. So I've been talking to investors, I you know, I ask questions what they're looking for, I go to all the RIA clubs, I start getting taking names and people have money, people don't have money, people are flippers, people are holders. I've try, I started creating a model. So I come across the home in that, that fashion at three and two. And then I go, if It's worth 120 hundred and twenty, I can tie it up for sixty. Well, I get a lot of investors to come out of the woodwork for that, and I got to also make a determination as I get educated what the approximate rehab cost is going to be. Now, I know right, the so new you're talking is about. Know a, all
1: that. A, you're talking about a don't-wanter situation, obviously. If it can be sold for 120 and you can lock it up for 60, you know, obviously there's problems with it. It's distressed or it's REO property or something.
0: Yeah, a lot of times it's going to be elderly couples. Uh, It could be an estate. Mm -hmm. You could go back to bankruptcy, go back to probate. So you have all these uh, various tools out there, again, to come back to light, become a good wholesaler. So identification is where do you want to be, whatever properties you'll be going after, because you've got to be consistent. You can't be... Today, hundred twenty thousand, and two weeks from you're at seven hundred thousand. Both your buyers don't mesh.
1: So you it's pick it's a niche, bigger? and you and when you find the niche you like, you stick with it.
0: Correct, and repeat it over and over again. But what do they? Would they say wash, rinse, repeat? Right, <laughs> doing it all over again. Right. So now we've identified it. And
1: so now the next so step is the research.
0: Now we research that property. We identified our market. We identified where we want to be. We have a couple of houses. Now we got to do the research to make sure the values align themselves with my thinking. And the only thing, the only values out there, the truest values, its properties have been sold. It doesn't matter if it's on the market because if it was priced right, it'd be gone already. So the county records always have what's the last, latest sold the last six months. That's so what any looks at. They don't care if it's on the market. They don't care that the prices drop. It's what's sold and what it's sold for. So I research the marketplace. I research my values. Now I take it to my buyer. I think it's my next step. right? right. Uh,
1: Nope. The next one is tie it up.
0: I got everything identified. Now I got to put a contract on it. And I may put $100 down to tie it up. That's legally I could put a dollar down. Or I could put a hundred or I could put a thousand or five hundred. Whatever I gotta do to tie it up, I got tied up. And I give myself enough time to close. The worst thing we can do as wholesalers is tell the buyer, tell the seller, I'm gonna close in ten days. That's not realistic. You don't present to anybody yet. So get as much time as you can. Three days is preferable. Now the homeowner may say, well, "I think you're pay- I thought you're paying cash. Can't be closed faster." I say, "Well, I got to check my finance partners to make sure." And your finance partner could be the person I get to sell it to. So then I got a contract on it. I got it tied up. Now I'm ready, and I got something to sell. So I package it up. So I have my contract ready. I have my comps ready and sold. I have a approximate construction based on what I see with my visual eyes it's going to take and uh i'm ready to present to whoever i believe is my buyer in, in this particular case i'm going to really, want five or six doing, buyers
1: if you're a, if you're a wholesaler what you're doing is gradually building up a database of investors who are looking for the kind of niche properties that you want to wholesale yes right so it could be a matter of picking up the phone you know, and calling the right guy or the right gal, and they go, "Yeah, I'm I'm in the market. I'm looking right now." Or yep. maybe call two or three people. You know. Yep.
0: Because you always have to have a plan A, B, and C. So somebody may say, "Look, the next time you come across the property, make sure I get the first call." And then you may want to do that, but always have that second, third, fourth, fifth call ready because they won't take, they can't take everything if you just sold them one thirty days ago, they might not be ready today. Right. So you always got to be prepared.
1: Right. And, of course, you know at that stage what kind of terms the, um, the um, sellers are going to be willing to take. Like, do they want all cash or are they willing to take a land contract? Or are you looking at qualifying for a loan somehow or, you know, how that's going to work?
0: yeah and for me, I always go in cash because uh cash is we everybody knows it's quicker to close, and also you get better discount with
1: cash right right um, I had a question that popped in my brain anyway um so when in in a way, what you're doing is you're kind of bird dogging and you're getting a commission for providing this to investors
0: correct. Okay. Okay. The, com- the commission is more of a fee because the way the state laws are for realtors, uh, you cannot do so many transactions in a given year. So I always use consulting fee versus a commission. That's more of a, oh, a more of a that's, a legal that's important. Thing that you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, between you and me, who've been you know salespeople our whole life, commission is a good word. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. a great word. Right, but if you if, if the appropriate thing is to call it a consulting fee then, you know, that's what your readers need to know. You yeah. know. So
0: and when you sign that so also I mean there's other particulars like we sign a contract. I may sign it uh uh you know, Ray Urucha, Inc. and or signs. So that way I can always assign the contract to another uh, uh buyer. Then there's assignment agreements There's other steps in there that make it uh more uh, legal and it tightens it up because once that person signs that and the person that is buying the property they have to close they can't say well I don't want to close now
1: right 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 so for a very small amount of money the wholesaler you know um, is sort of controlling the property so that the seller can't pull an end run and sell it to somebody else. Correct. Right? And yeah. then, you know, that's when if I was the wholesaler, I get on the phone and they start calling my list of people who I know like those kinds of homes and find out which one of them wants it.
0: You call them, or as you're building your list, for the next five days, you hit every RIA club you know.
1: For the next one,
0: five days you hit every real estate investment club that you know. Okay. You go there in person, and you find out the investors. I got a project. I got a deal for you. Mhm. Now you're doing it face to face. I mean, just just different. I guess my point is just different ways to attract that buyer. If you don't have a whole database built, or you're still building your database.
1: Right. Right, but you're going to be doing this with an individual seller. You're not going to be doing this with, like, a bank or, no. you know, anything like that. It takes an individual okay. seller who's willing to tie it up for, say, maybe 30 to 45 days with Correct. a couple hundred bucks. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with this strategy. So, anyway, good. Good, good. Well, it sounds like it's a good way for... Um, for someone who's getting started to to start creating some income. Do you have any of your students who are working on wholesaling? Um,
0: yeah, um, actually Debbie and then also I uh, got Bonnie started getting involved in wholesaling too.
1: Right. And how are they coming along with it?
0: Um, with Debbie, you know, she started working for me. So we were on a path that she was doing X amount of letters and cold calling and that. I know she's gotten away from it. And, uh, and there's also some smaller packages that I'll put in front of her to um, to see what kind of interest from a smaller investor. Like I got five properties up in Maryland. You know, I don't, uh, for myself, I don't have the time to pursue the five. But I just give it to her, and I'll pay her a fee for, you know, selling them. You
1: mm-hmm.
0: create the strike price, and then she sells it, and she'll get a percentage of it.
1: Right, right. So is wholesaling something that you started doing fairly early in your investing career, or did you stumble upon it later, or how did that work for you?
0: Um, when I first started out, I started looking at the foreclosures. And then as I started getting uh, pretty decent at that, I started gathering uh, different buyers or different sellers coming to me about buying the property. And I didn't have the capital to rehab them or uh, flip them at that time, even hold them. So I would go out and find uh, investors. And uh, one time I had about 3,000 investors I was working with and, and in any different phase. And, and the more active ones were like maybe 200 or 300 at any given time.
1: But That's a big list. Um,
0: yeah, I, I built that over five years. I still talk to some of them today.
1: When did you realize, you know what, I need to get organized and have, like, a list of these people, so when I come across the property and I tie it up, I know exactly who the right three or four people are I need to get on the horn with and and uh, present it to?
0: Well, uh, I want to say almost immediately, because I came from a wholesaling background. It's a wholesale office products.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And the, and the same model applied. You, uh, we were a sharp wholesaler, sharp products, and what we would do is that uh, my partner at the time would go out and buy, say, 5,000 uh, cash registers or 5,000 fax machines whatever that number is, and we had a database of people that we knew would buy, their dealers, and then we would sell to them in quantities of 3 to 10 or 15 at a time. So, and we kept track of this so every month. We get a new a big batch of product in. We start calling the same people up because their job is to sell it to the consumer. And they didn't have the buying power to go out and buy 5,000 pieces. So, we'd be that buying power. They'd benefit because they bought three to 10, but they still got a better price if they went to Sharp and try to buy four or five themselves no discounts. So when it so, came to real estate, the same thing.
1: So wholesaling doesn't necessarily mean that you're selling mass quantities at a discount. It just means you're presenting to other investors, "Hey, here's a really good deal for you."
0: Yeah, because we're it's like right now. I'm looking at the package. Um, it's 246 properties for 33 million. We went through mm-hmm. it, and I mean we made an offer eighteen and a half million. I haven't heard back yet, so i'll hear about i some this afternoon um but then I looked at two packages the other day for collectively the not performing notes and also old package uh, about twelve hundred properties. They were asking about fifty two million. I offer twelve because they're all low end properties.
1: I'm mm-hmm.
0: get rid of it and I'm talking to the to the CEO of that company this afternoon. My point is, if I can buy it for 12 or even buy it for 15 and I can sell for 22, and already have buyers lined up for it, they win because they, they don't they don't have the time to source it. That's why they come to us. We source it, do all the back end work to make sure that it's proper and that it's, it makes sense from a value standpoint. And we fulfill their letter of intent, which is their wish list,
1: or their objectives. Either way you want to yeah. say, they suppose. Yeah, either way you
0: want
1: to say, because
0: we all wish for something.
1: Are the people that you pick up the phone and call that you know um, might say yes to twenty-two million for three hundred and however many properties that is? You said, are these sort of the institutional institutional investors? You know, that almost every week you're going, Denise, there's a lot of money out there. You know, I mean, is this is more that kind of guy, not the investor who's buying onesies and twosies and maybe a little strip mall here and there. Yeah, these aren't necessarily institutional,
0: uh, but they are capital companies that are looking to enhance the returns for their investors, some mm-hmm. cases. Uh, some mm-hmm. cases, they're trying to just enhance their portfolio that they have already Uh in some cases the way they raise money they have to spend it. And they're looking at fifteen to twenty million, fifteen to thirty million, fifteen to forty million that they could spend. Single family homes, different parts of the country. Rather have it in, in uh, I'm gonna say in the blocks. So maybe you have some in Georgia, some in North Carolina, but it, they're pretty tight in where they're located at. Uh the institutional investors I'm going to say like pension funds, hedge or funds. Or the hedge
1: funds, right.
0: Yeah. They're bigger. And some of those guys, were are buying from. So when you look at the wholesaling in a global standpoint, this particular group is, say, a hedge fund made to buy $20 billion worth of properties. Mm-hmm. From, from whoever they buy it from. And then maybe they're buying it for $0.10 cents or $0.15 cents on, the di- on the dollar they'll break that $20 billion into $1 billion uh, brackets. And then they're going to sell it for $0.20, $0.22 cents of the dollar. That $1 billion is looking for $100 million players to sell it at, uh, say, 27 28 maybe $0.30 cents of the dollar. And that $100 million player, then you start driving it down, now they're going to sell it for $0.35, $0.40 cents of the dollar, maybe $0.50 cents of the dollar.
1: So I want to go back to um identifying, you know, to these steps a little bit, okay? Sure. Do you find, you know, when let's let's say I decide I want to do some wholesaling in between writing books for people, okay? okay. And I have to tell you as I was writing the chapter on probate, I'm like, I could do this. You know? <laughs> But you know i'm really good like at yourself. having conversations with people who you know lost a loved one and you know i mean i'm the one that um my friends you know when they lose a parent or something i'm the one sitting there while they you know talk about their memories and all that stuff and everybody else runs away you know right Sorry. but at any rate um are they looking for now let's say i decide to be a wholesaler okay and so I'm developing my list of people right and um, are they the people that I would flip I'm going to say flip it to even though we're not calling it flipping we're calling it wholesaling the people that I would flip it to are they generally looking at stuff that involves renovation or are they generally looking for properties that are pretty clean or is that part just part of the things that you need to have in your database for each investor.
0: And most of the investors we have know they're buying, like especially REO packages. Uh, some of these properties have been vacant for a couple, three years, and they know that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So they're looking, at a de- they're looking at a decent discount knowing they got to fix it. Right. And if you take non-performing notes, most of the times the people are still living there. They haven't paid their bills. So that would be a different class of property. And, again, just like any investor, they have their criteria. Uh, some may say, look, I want nothing less than a $250,000 value. And I'm willing to pay X or when I'm willing to pay $0. $0.70 or $0.80 a dollar. Or I'm buying a non-performing note, and I want to pay $0. $0.45, $0.50 a dollar. But I'm looking for anything from 50 dollars to $100,000 value. Or I'm paying yeah.
1: The other thing is, is in the process of, I would say, the research, okay, you know, let's say a a, um, fairly new investor, all right, like one of your students, for example, goes into a home, it's an elderly couple, you know, the place is kind of, um, you know, let's just say shop-worn, right? I mean, very, very well-loved, but not well-maintained necessarily, you know. How does a new investor look around and go, okay, this is going to need about $20,000 worth of work or thirty, or whatever so they don't, you know, so when they, they flip it to someone else, you know, that um, guesstimate of what it's going to take is, you know, kind of dirty windshield appraisal. I mean, it's somewhat, at least somewhat accurate. Um
0: uh, uh... What I share with them is that they should use about thirty thirty five dollars a square foot for rehabbing. Oh, okay. So if I have a thousand square feet it's gonna cost you about thirty five grand. Now will it really cost you thirty five grand? Uh, maybe maybe not. Maybe things are in better shape than you think. Maybe the infrastructure so that thirty thirty five grand at that particular thousand square foot home should have all new plumbing, all new uh heating cooling and electrical
1: wow and you that's, do that's most, big you, stuff
0: yeah you can do most of that though in a thousand square foot of home for probably uh, 15 grand
1: right
0: the rest so that's automatic. like
1: estimate estimate high you know and hope it's not yep. as expensive
0: okay and, and then those if they ever say all the plumbing all the all utilities are good based on your inspection now it's just uh, carpet paint maybe some new windows
1: cosmetics
0: and right. the other thing I always say is, you got the kitchen, it's got the bathrooms.
1: Right. And kitchens so,
0: together real cheaply. The kitchen? Yeah.
1: Right. So kitchens are very important, right? You hear yeah. that. And one of the things you said to me a number of weeks ago is you said, everybody wants hardwood floors these days. Yeah. You know? Except the floor except in Florida. You know, they're not that popular out here too because our humidity levels are so low that hardwood floors will, you know, over a few years, I guess, they'll start to crack and, you know, have problems because of the dryness of the air. I about that. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, some of the manufacturers will say you have to have a humidifier in your in your house going all the time if you live in one of these climates. Otherwise there's no warranty on the thing. Oh wow. You know? Good yeah. to know. Yeah. So at any anyway, rate, so it's different in different parts of the country. And I suppose there's other parts of the country like Florida for example, where it's there it's such high humidity, you know, it they might have problems for that reason, you know. So you the opposite effect. Right, right. So let's go let's break down the the tie it up step a little bit more, okay okay, and I mean, I know that there are people where you can lock it up for a hundred bucks or five hundred bucks or you know like a very very small amount. Are you writing a typical offer up, or are you writing on the back of a cocktail napkin, or how does that typically work?
0: well, uh, what you get your hands on in most states is the real estate uh Contract, you know, use something that everybody's comfortable with them. See before, I mean, there's short versions of that that we can put together. But if you use that contract, it's about 14 pages, and you go through it and you, you explain it to them, uh, they should be comfortable with it. And most lawyers will recognize it. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like so kind of a standard offer form.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, most offers I, I was making a number of years ago just a one pager. Basically I'm paying cash, I'm offering this, lot description, uh, property description, um what the address was or is, and when we expect uh our due diligence and uh when we expect to close. And, and then what I would course, do from there, go to the formal contract.
1: Isn't there something you put in it about contingent on getting financing or something like that?
0: Yeah, and the the, the second page of that contract was what I call weasel clauses.
1: Weasel clause. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> Certain clauses that get me out of the get out get me out of it if I had to.
1: Okay. All right. Right. I would never tell though. homeowner more that. Right. And so you know, the, what would be a motivator for a seller? You know, I suppose they don't know that you're going to flip it to somebody else right away, right? And it doesn't matter to them, right?
0: No, it doesn't. But
1: but what would be the motivator to the seller to say yeah we're willing to have you put 500 dollars down to hold it for say 30 to 45 days or something you know what are what are the magic words they need to hear to say yes that sounds good
0: cash and close quickly
1: okay okay
0: If you look at the houses, there's some houses in a lot of neighborhoods. I don't care what state you go into, what city. They've been sitting there vacant for a while. Nobody knows why. But it takes the person's uh, research to find out who owns it. Maybe somebody died and the siblings haven't done anything with it yet because they're all out of state or wherever they're at. Um, And you find out who that homeowner is. You find out who the the state attorney is, and and you start working it. You make the offer. And after a while, the house becomes a burden because now they've got to maintain it. They've got to make sure it's heated. They'll make sure it get broken into. And the kids are squabbling because whose responsibility is it? And it's not mine. Mom and Dad should take care of it a long time ago. And you know, here you are. And there's a lot of those properties out there. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of properties to wholesale to make a decent living.
1: And when, um, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the chapter on probate is, you know, sometimes you do find vacant houses out there. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, so when you do and you go, you know what, I want to find out more about this. It's like, where do they go? Or, or you know, if there isn't a sign in the window or a sign out on the lawn or something, where do they go? What do they do to um, start finding out more information about it?
0: Well, there is a website out there uh would be maybe very appropriate to put in this chapter. It's uh, www.netro.netroonline.com. Netroonline.com,
1: so o- okay.
0: Yes. And it rep- you have all uh, 2600, count- 2,600 counties available through that website, any state. Click on your state. Click on the county. And then you type in a street name or address, depending on how they want you to look up. Look up the tax assessor's uh, portion of that particular county. And it will pop up who the, who's the current owner. Now, so the house is vacant. Now you got to be a little bit, little bit of a detective. Go to U, U.S. People Search. Go to um, uh, any type of uh, you know 411, yellow pages, white pages, and start typing that person's name in. And it may give you a host of them. And then what you start doing from there is you start making phone calls. You know, are you the the owner um, on this particular home? No, I I never lived there. Next, go to the next one, same name.
1: Right. Okay. And
0: you just keep on. Thank you, bye.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Or sometimes a, a simpler way is when you go by the house, you see it's empty door knock the neighbors somebody knows that person where they went
1: right when when this happens you know like a house is abandoned are you know and they've they've moved or vacant and they've moved somewhere else is it are they still paying on the mortgage or the mortgage has already been all paid off or like
0: in some cases yeah I mean um when homes are vacant for a long period of time, something happened to the people who lived there. And more than 10 times, they they passed away.
1: Oh, sometimes they passed away. Maybe there were no kids. Or...
0: No, maybe no kids, maybe no will. The state's got the property or some attorneys got it and they're not quite sure what to do with it. And, um, and that's why it's a lot of uh, state attorneys Make money because they want to buy the property themselves. Which you got to be careful, of. but uh, yeah, there's just there's a, lot of, a host of reasons uh, and a host of ways of research, and you have to you have to have a little bit detective in you. Right. Don't give up.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Good. 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 Okay. And then bringing to investors, um, you know, we talked about kind of developing and nurturing your list. You know, so when you come across the property and you tie it up, you know the right people to call. And I would imagine if you go to the investor clubs in your area, you're kind of farming for your list as well. Even if you don't find somebody that evening who is right for it, you're still kind of, you know, picking up business cards and getting to know people better and adding them to your list, I would think, anyway.
0: Right, right. Every contact leaves another contact. You know, the people right. you ask and say, yeah, I walk up to you, Denise, and I go, Denise, I have this perfect uh, opportunity for you. And you may say, look, I can't do anything right now. Before I part from you, I'm going to say, do you know two other people that might be interested in this?
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you wouldn't, you, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you ask them, are you in the middle of a deal right now? When do you think you will be ready? So they go in the tickler yeah. file. So when you find something three months from now and they said, Two and a half months from now, they'll be looking again. You know, you know, they're the ones to call, right?
0: Yep. And hopefully, you create right. such a relationship and such a rapport, they call you before they go looking.
1: Right. Remember Tickler files, those little boxes, and they oh, would yeah. have the little file tabs for the days of the month and everything, you know? Yeah. So, anyway. Then computers they, came along. Yeah, then computers came along, right? Right. So, good. Good, good. Okay. What else do you want your readers to know about wholesaling? What why is it essential for your readers to join pull the trigger so that they can really do wholesaling the right way?
0: I think wholesaling is kind of a foundation for all investors to know two things. If I'm procuring properties and I am um, I can only handle one or two at a time myself. It Doesn't it make sense that I have to have an outlet? So if I, can, if I come across, say four people said yes, I only could take two, I got to get rid of those other two. And I got to have a database out there who to go to, where I bring it to. And I still want to make money on it because I did a lot of work. And while you're doing the flipping, this is a good complement to your income to keep money in your pocket to keep moving forward.
1: Do you think it would be a good idea to start developing the database before you start tying things up?
0: Yes. I think with real estate, there's two things you should always be doing. Create an investor list and pursuing money. Right. Because it's a very critical, I don't care what endeavor or what path you pursue, you're always going to have, to have access to money and you've got to, to have access to people that buy from you or buy with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think from a wholesaling standpoint, if you come with us and pull the trigger, we are wholesaling already, and we do it every day. We can graduate you from to a single family, the multifamily, to strip malls, to large hotels. How do,
1: you well, them back well, do you feel like, um, you know, one of the things we talked about in some of the other chapters is kind of like what's hot and what's not, you know, mm-hmm. as far as some of the different strategies. I mean, this sounds like something that's kind of evergreen, you know, especially when you talk about a lot of times it's an elderly couple, you know, and we were just talking about in the probate chapter how, you know, the aging of the baby boomers, right? Correct. I think no.
0: wholesaling is always going to be. Well, let's look at, you know, let's go backwards a little bit. We talk about REOs, not performing notes. We're talking about HOA liens. We're talking about these are all ways to acquire property, but eventually that will slow down. Not so much that it's going to disappear, it just won't be the abundance as it is today. Right. So when you complement wholesaling, so today, as an example, Vertex is involved in buying large tapes. Tomorrow, our wholesale may be smaller packages because there's still going to be money in it. There's still going to be buyers out there for it. But the buyer that we have today, buying $20 million, the buyer two years from now, three years from now, will probably be the person that's going to spend $300, 400 maybe million dollars. You just have to change your model. But it'll always be.
1: I would think okay. one of the. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm go ahead. Oh, it's off. Okay. Well, I was going to say I think one of the pros of doing this for people who are beginning is you know a you already said if they don't have a lot of capital to work with to start with, but the other thing is is if they have dings in their FICO score, it really doesn't matter. It sounds like.
0: No, it doesn't. It does not.
1: Hmm.
0: It's the only thing you do is tighten it up, right? And you don't. You don't need uh, cash, uh, and you have, you have enough clauses, contingencies in there that if you can't find somebody to take it, then either one you renew the contract, you have to put more money down, or two, uh, you just walk
1: away. So. Really, I mean, when you talk about some of the pros, it's like, okay, so you can get involved in this for, you know, a pretty low amount of money. You don't have to have a real high FICO score. You don't have to deal with all the renovating. You know, you're dealing with, as you're de- developing your database, you're dealing with investors. So you're not dealing with, like, highly emotional buyers, which is kind of nice, you know. Right. Um, and then, a- am I missing any more of the pros on that? Or do I kinda of have a feel for it or?
0: Yeah, you do. I mean the, the it's it's a pretty simple pro is that it 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 offers you income without a lot of investment other than your time.
1: Right. So the cons would be if you don't find someone in the thirty to forty five days, you've kind of wasted your time, right? But Correct. you know, that's the chance in any business, right? Or yeah. any real estate strategy. Um yeah. but you know if you have a weasel clause in there, you know you can just walk away. There's really no big lift. You' probably lose that deposit, the five hundred or you know dollars or whatever you put up yeah. for it, right, yeah. but that's it, you know,
0: and then that's the risk of if you don't have a lot of money, five hundred bucks could be five hundred bucks. I mean, I don't wanna give away money either, but if you're just starting out, you may not have the five hundred dollars to give up right so. And that's where, again, that's where a lot of people get uh, fearful. Well, what if? Well, yeah, what if it's successful? Don't look at what if it goes wrong. What if it's successful? And you make yourself four or $5,000. And you put right. that money away and you buy more and tie up more property. Now you've got three or four tied up and you have your database of buyers is
1: growing. And, and that's really what we were saying, I think, in the chapter on notes. It's like if you're going to do this, you have to be comfortable with some risk, no matter what. Yeah. Right. I mean. And we're,
0: and we're you know, the risk we're taking right now is we're we're buying these packages for a lot of money, a lot of properties, and our risk is well if we don't sell fast enough, we still got clothes right. on it.
1: Right. How's it going? It's how they how are they coming along as far as finding the right people to to take them and everything?
0: We have. uh it's, it's, uh, what we're going through today is that we have a lot of buyers of LOIs and proof of funds, and one of the risks that we're running is that we're not fulfilling these lists fast enough. And the challenge that I'm running into is trying to find the right inventory. Uh, this industry is plagued with um, mistrust from a buyer's side and from a seller's side. Either side is a trust the other side. There's a lot of... Um, Brokers out there that might like, get wind of a list and they start marketing through the internet, and then what happens is it gets so overly played that a buyer that you're talking to has already seen it. Uh, maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Maybe they really haven't seen the details. Maybe they didn't get the right pricing, but they've seen 246 properties. They go, i already seen that list. So what we've got to do is take them away from that and say, look, you haven't seen the property, and we need you to, uh, you know, to reconsider. Here's how you're going to reconsider. This is what we're going to bring to the table. And then once we do that, it no, makes so it more, uh, more easier to, to accept. And now we become serious. And once we're able to do that, then our buyers, the, our buyers start believing us. Our sellers start believing we can move the product. I mean, it's a whole chain of events here, Denise. It's just trying to get to the center.
1: So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So dealing with trust issues is a big thing you're dealing with with these big bundles.
0: Yeah. And there's some people out there that have done some uh, uh, things that they shouldn't have done just, just because. Right. Right. And we have to, How, we have to
1: do, go ahead. Do you deal with the the same level of trust issues when you're dealing with, you know, much smaller investors who are looking for, you know, onesies and twosies?
0: Yeah. And probably more jittery because they haven't, uh, their best, whatever money they're investing, whatever time they're investing, is at much higher risk.
1: Closer to the vast Yep. Hmm.
0: Yep. And our role is to overcome that and show them that not everybody out there is trying to take advantage of the situation.
1: Right. Right. How are HOA liens coming along?
0: Uh, We're still pursuing them. Uh, It's just that old... Challenge of trying to get somebody to look at a new model, and they don't believe it until they hatch. People want tangible, touchable real estate.
1: Right. And lean,
0: you're buying paper. It's so like a tax loan. You're buying paper.
1: Right. And they can't,
0: they can't relate the two together because they're a little bit different.
1: I think there's a different strategy you're going to fall into. Yeah. That you know you're gonna go okay now all the little things click into place and you know now it's it's moving
0: you know yeah and so. we're we we're, we we have changed many times over the last uh, couple of months and actually the last maybe three weeks uh, trying to get more refined here's what I know sales to me and I know you understand this, it's just pure numbers. If uh, I'm looking for five good sources of property, I need to talk to 25 to 30 people to get to those five. And once I do that, then I'll be able to have have consistency. I have to have that relationship directly with the CEO of that company or organization to have that relationship. And if somebody can't find it for me, as I have a lot of people looking, I have to find it myself and make my own phone calls. I talk to the presidents of these organizations, explain who I am, what I'm looking for, see if they can help. And if they can't, then we keep on moving.
1: Right, right.
0: A lot of moon parts.
1: Now, the, um, the 2,500 properties in Florida, you guys, you have those tied up now, right? Yes, we do. Okay,
0: okay. We have that, and uh, we have access to quite a bit more, but I think what we have resided to is that if we get these twenty five hundred done, um, then we we'll just keep on moving. I'd right. like to do a hundred thousand, that would be my up to ultimate goal, but a lot of money, a lot of challenges, and um I think the twenty five hundred is probably what we're, we're lock ourselves into.
1: Well what I mean what you shared with me over the weeks that you know we've talked about this stuff is it really kind of boils down back to trust issues again. Like when yeah, you no. say they can't wrap their brain around it, that's kind of like trust issues. Like, is this really on the level, you know? Yeah. They may they might really like you a lot, but, you know,
0: so anyway. It's all about the, uh, the stories they hear. There's always pros and cons each story. And then, you you know, if somebody says, well, my buddy got burnt, and then you find out why they got burnt, you explain it to them. They go, oh, I didn't know that. And it's, it's like, yeah, you don't. Our role is to help you understand that and show it to you. So, you know, it's pretty crazy. Right, we'll get there.
1: You will, you will. you you have the tenacity and the smarts to make it happen. So, tell me about your first experience doing a wholesale deal. Like, how old were you? Where did you do? You remember where you found it? How much was it? What did you sell it for?
0: Yeah, the it's probably 2002.
1: Okay, so not that long ago.
0: No. Um, I mean, again, prior to that, wholesale, but different products. So this was just different from a real estate standpoint. And we were doing, again, locked on foreclosures, because foreclosures to me were the low-hanging fruit. They had a need. And they had oh. the need for me to, to talk to them. So... In the so these are
1: closures where the homeowner is still in the house. They're not a, they're correct. not bank owned yet.
0: Okay. Correct. But in the midst of that, in going to these houses, I see a vacant house, or I see a percent of my owner, or I see I did just just get to know the neighborhood. And as I did that, I would approach them, or I I track them down. I uh, my first lot it was actually a lot in downtown Geneva. It was an acre. If you know Geneva, Illinois, there's not too many acre lots around there. And uh, Geneva is a pretty affluent area. And there's a house that looked vacant for quite a while. And uh, nobody knew the owner. So I won't, I found out the owner died. So I went to the King County uh, records, and I bought a death certificate. And then from there, I started going through U.S. public search. I started searching for names and nearest relatives. Then I found the attorney for the state. And then I found a uh niece that was the only living relative of this woman that lived down in uh, Evanston, uh, not Evanston, um southern Indiana, that City. Evansville. So a in the different tip. Yeah, a neighboring the tip state. Of the Yeah. So I, I was corresponding with her because the attorney said that'd be the best person to work with, so I, I sent him an offer, I sent her an offer. And then at the end, um was a bacon lot I offered like seventy five grand for it. I drag it to flip it to a builder for a hundred and fifty grand because it's one acre. And that's what went up happening. And so both uh, the
1: house and the one acre lot was the same person? Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: And the house had to be torn down and I and I knew that as we went through the house. Um she had died in the house, and nobody knew it for a long time. Oh. oh. No, no, nobody knocked on the door.
1: Wow. She's probably very, like, you know, introverted or something. Didn't yeah. have she, a lot of friends. Ugly.
0: Yeah, she fell, and that was it. So kind of a, you know, sad sort from a human standpoint. But.
1: Sure. So people were no, probably kind of boots from buying it. You know,
0: yeah. That was my first one in 2002. I wasn't sure what I was doing there, but I did it anyways.
1: Oh well, good. That's that's kind of like jumping off the cliff and building the parachute on the way down. You know. Yep. So, so you had this one uh, one acre lot, and you had a house that you figured is going to be a tear down. You know, right. did you, did you sell them together, or did you sell them to different parties, or what did you do?
0: No, I, I sold, uh, because the house is on there, and if you look at the houses around the area, um, the, the I figured a customized home builder would come in and buy it because they could build a uh, you know, 5000 square foot home on this thing for about a million dollars. Because the lot itself is one acre. Don't, they don't have to run any one acre lots in Geneva anymore. It's a very nice street, you know, but just it was just driving by, I've seen, uh, seen the house. I went and door knocked it. And... Uh, you know, that was my first experience at it. Huh. Wow. So there.
1: who who did you finally sell it to?
0: It was a customized builder.
1: Okay. Oh, I don't know what his name Doesn't matter. A while ago. Yeah. No. And did you get the 150 out of it? Yes, I did. Good for you. Because I knew the
0: lot was worth more. Uh, I bet that lot right now would go for close to half a million dollars.
1: And tell me what what was your timeline like? From you see it, you do some research, you tie it up, and you sold it. What was that timeline like for you?
0: About uh, sixty days.
1: Sixty days. Yes. Sixty days to make seventy five thousand dollars is not that bad, you know.
0: No, it's it beats going to office every day.
1: That's you got that right. <laughs> you got that right. So that's good. That's good. So you've got some of your students who are working on wholesaling. Oh, uh,
0: yeah, bud. Yeah. and they're. It's hard for them to see the the vision of it. And I emphasize whatever path they chose, the wholesaling should, should be a byproduct of it. Because that way you can complement your income that way. If you don't make all your money on the flip, it might take you 60 days to uh, six months to get it done. Then, wholesale one or two properties, and you have enough income coming in. Again, if you did, if you did two properties every quarter, that's eight properties. Eight properties that say five grand a piece is what forty grand. If I got my numbers right.
1: Yeah, five grand times eight properties. Sure, that's forty grand.
0: Yeah, and it's because you're already out there. You're already doing something with it. And you're going to stumble, you will stumble across more opportunities by just looking than you will by actually doing the research for it.
1: Right. So it's just kind of having your eyes and ears open to what the possibilities are.
0: And keep your eyes open all the time. And don't look through through somebody else's eyes, not just your own.
1: Now, when you did that first wholesale deal in 2002, were you currently doing, lots of other kind of real estate strategies and you just kind of fell into it or were you no, like I was actually single? working on
0: foreclosures.
1: You're working mostly on foreclosures. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So at any rate, and did you start doing more wholesale deals after that or did you yeah. just go right back to foreclosures?
0: Nope, I did uh more wholesale deals because I came across more properties. Right. Now your eyes were open.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good, good. And, and, good. 70,
0: and seventy-five thousand is, is a really extreme. Most of it's five to ten, five to eight, three to six, which is not a you know it's it's a quick turn.
1: Right. Right. And
0: uh, you can you can win faster that way.
1: Closing thoughts on wholesaling.
0: Uh, closing thoughts. I think it's a very. Um, It's a strong discipline to understand and to utilize at any given time. So Don't be, not be afraid of tying something up as long as you have uh, the communication skills about it. A lot of people out there want to invest. They don't want to do the legal work.
1: Right, right. They just
0: want to hand to them.
1: Good. The last thing I wanted to uh, bring up before we wrap up today. Um, is I sent you a chapter Wednesday night on probate, and I just wanted to check in with you and see if you had a chance to look it over.
0: I have not. I I seen it, took a glance at it, I opened it up, but I didn't read through the whole thing.
1: Okay, you've been on vacation. So one of the things we're going to need to do um, coming up fairly soon is I I want you to kind of sign off on chapters like, okay, I'm happy with this and then, Denise, I need you to change this and this. And the other thing um, you may not recall from the agreement that you signed is that I consider these rough draft chapters, you know, they're not that rough, but, you know, it's like they they all need that final fine tooth comb proofreading for me to go through all of them, you know. So, I don't know if you recall that or not. So, um, Anyway, but there will come a time in the not too distant future when you need to kind of go through all of them and make sure everything seems accurate and kosher to you. And then I'll make those changes while I'm doing the proofreading at the same time. And uh, pretty soon you're going to have a book manuscript. So I think,
0: because uh, we're about, what, 14, 16 chapters, something like that?
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think this is 14, but we don't really have a number for the one-on entities, so that's really like 15.
0: Okay, and do we want to? I think I asked this before, so excuse me. Do we want to get this to like 18, 19 chapters, 20 chapters?
1: I think. Let me let me look at your um, your um, outline. The outline is 19 chapters.
0: Okay. So we're very okay. getting very close here. I think with a couple of things, we combined a couple of them because it made sense.
1: Yeah, we did that, um, I think, about a month ago. We combined a couple of them, you yeah. know. So, um, and I, I emailed you that um, latest version of the outline, and what I'll do yeah. is I'll add the chapters that I've written since we had that conversation several weeks ago. I'll add in the chapters that I've completed since and the number of pages and I'll send you that outline again so you'll have the freshest, latest version of it.
0: Because what I've been doing is I, I, t- I print the chapters off, so I actually have like a book, and a, a three-ring binder. Mm-hmm. So when that's I go through so smart. it, yeah. so I'm re- I read it as though I'm reading the book. Right.
1: And a lot and of, yeah, that's smart, you know, because then you'll see how it kind of flows from one to the next. And a yeah. lot of people find it's like their eyeballs pick up more stuff when it's printed on a piece of paper as opposed to looking at it on a laptop screen.
0: And, and also, too, with um, I had Debbie, who works for me, she's also one of my students. We had gone out of Florida a number of weeks ago, and uh, on the plane, because we flew together, I, I, I had her read the chapters backwards.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Why'd you have her do it that way? (laughs) (laughs) Because
0: what I wanted to find out is that there's just two things. I wanted the chapters to be stand on their own, but if you read them backwards, it'll flow. So if it Mm -hmm. flows backwards, I know it's going to flow forward.
1: That's true. That's a good point. So, what's been her uh, her feedback? Well, she loved
0: it. She goes, goes, "Give me the kind of next chapter."
1: What what did what did you say?
0: I said she loved it because she kept on asking for the next chapter after she finished. Oh
1: good, it. oh good. Now has your wife been reading time. reading any of it at all?
0: No, she hasn't. I haven't. I, I tell her I got another chapter, but I haven't shown it to her yet. So okay, one of my, my clients,
1: one next... of my clients, he reads it and then he has his wife read it. You know, so anyway, yeah. good so. idea. Okay. All right, good. Well, you know, when you get a chance, there's another one in your inbox. I think I sent it Wednesday evening. So, um anyway, enjoy your last day of vacation and Thank you. I will talk to you in a week.
0: Okay, thanks Denise. Have a good weekend. All right.
1: All right, you too. Bye. Take care. Uh uh-huh. bye-bye.